This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, hello, and welcome to Soccer Made in Portland on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. My name is Chris Reifer, and joining me as always, the Timbers and Thorns be writer for the Oregonian and OregonLive.com, Jamie B. Goldberg. Jamie B., what's up? Oh, um, I'm pretty excited. Uh, we get to talk about an actual regular season game this week. So um, after this month uh, or so of preseason, um, I'm just excited to, to to have the chance to be back talking to you about real regular season MLS soccer, Chris. Yeah, real soccer. It's going to be great. Uh, I did get a couple questions on Twitter uh, about the Soccer Made in Portland Fantasy League. The answer for the beginning of the podcast is I haven't set it up yet. Uh, the answer for, for those who want to do it is I am going to set it up tonight and I will also include sort of like, you know, you know, like when you go to the movies and you like, you watch the movie and then there's the credits and then there's like the secret scene. This podcast is going to have a secret scene, uh, right at the end. And it's going to be me telling people what the access number for the soccer made in Portland <laughs> fantasy league is. Um, so, so yeah, uh, if you are only tuning in, uh, for the purpose of getting that number, which you should not. You should listen to the rest of what we have to say because we are both terribly charming uh, and also like we, you know, spend a lot of time thinking about the Timbers and Thorns. But if you are here just for that number, skip to the end. Uh, otherwise, we will proceed through the rest of the discussion as, as we go. Uh, we do have a little bit of wrap up and, and by a little bit, I mean quite a bit of wrap up to do uh, from the Timbers' second trip down to Tucson. I, I think we spoke basically right as the Timbers were going down there. They've played a, a couple more games, three, four games, depending on how you count, uh, and depending on if a game happens and nobody sees it, does a game actually happen? Um, but philosophical questions aside, uh, the Timbers played a few games. We learned a lot of things. We have a lot of new questions. Uh, so let's talk about all of that uh, in wrapping up that, that bit that we saw down in the second trip to Tucson. The first, uh, and I think maybe sort of the, I would say this is the most surprising thing that came out of that trip to Tucson, is the Timbers really had trouble in that 4-2-3-1 that we've become so accustomed to seeing them play, or, or, or the 4-2-3-1 variant. It has looked like a couple different things at a couple different times. Sometimes it looks like a 4-3-3. Sometimes it looks like a, a, a 4 4 one, one. Uh, but really it, it's sort of variations on the same theme. We really saw them struggle uh, against both FC Dallas and Sporting Kansas City in that kind of setup. And then we saw the Timbers do very well when they went to different things. What do you think this means going forward? Is this something that you're reading a lot into and, and you're thinking, hey, maybe we're going to see a more fundamental shift in the Timbers approach than we anticipated? 
Uh, or do you think this is sort of a, a pre-season-y kind of thing uh, that we will forget about within a matter of a couple of weeks? Jamie Goldberg, what's your call? I, I think it's something that could be something we see some changes in the opening games of the season, depending on what role Chara can play. I think that's a big part of why that formation wasn't effective in preseason. I, I don't think Guzman and Olam had a particularly good partnership in defense and midfield. And, and I, I think... They were able to deal with the fact that Char was in the lineup a bit better when they switched to some of these other formations. I think part of it is it is preseason as well, and you can only read so much into what happens within these games that are not MLS regular season games. But I do think this is a formation that we're going to see the Timbers go with. I think it's going to be their primary formation throughout the year. That's what Savarestia says, and I don't see that changing. Um but I think until Char gets back in the lineup and, and, and is 90 minutes fit playing every game, it is something where Savarasi might have to make some tweaks and, and maybe try out some, one of these other different formations that he's looked at uh, to see if he can get a little bit more out of this team uh, with Char not in there. Yeah, I think so for me, it's mostly just reduced my confidence that what Gio has said is in fact going to be the case that the sort of that four, two, three, one setup is actually going to end up uh, being the primary setup. I think there's every chance that it still may don't get me wrong. Uh, I, I think there is a really good argument to make that in that four, two, three, one, if you just sort of plug and play Diego Chara or potentially even Christian Paredes straight into that in place of Lawrence Olam, that a lot of the problems that we saw the Timbers having, particularly in transition, particularly in keeping possession, get a lot easier just because you get another player. And and, and when you're in a 4-2-3-1, you're inherently relying on your eight to help you keep the ball, to help you move the ball, uh, because that's just sort of the way with your wingers being a, as generally wide as you're going to want them to be, because you're going to be asking for some width from your wingers in that kind of a setup. Uh, you're just going to need that extra central presence that is usually going to be the eight. Now, there are ways to sort of get around that. Having somebody like Darlington Nagby was, of course, always a way uh, to, to sort of cover up that and maybe not put as much pressure on the eight to provide that role because you had somebody that was basically a savant in possession and, and, and you could put him in any formation uh, <laughs> and, and you would be good in possession and transition because you would have Darlington Nagby. The Timbers don't have Darlington Nagby anymore, but that doesn't mean they still can't be effective in, the, in this phase of the game, but it does mean they have to put together the right personnel. And so in, in many respects, sort of the, the dueling questions of the off season of how are the Timbers going to, going to manage uh, without Darlington Nagby and how are the Timbers going to do, you know, going to play Diego Char or how are they going to manage uh, while he's still recovering from his his late season injury last year uh, in his broken metatarsal, those are really related questions because the, to, to a, a large extent, if the Timbers are using that primary set, you would think Diego Chara is a big part of the answer to the first question. So, you know, I, I, I do think that, that is at least as long as Chara is not 90 minutes fit, and we're going to talk about that a bit later, at least until he is at the point where he is sort of back, ready to go uh, every day, every minute kind of player that he's been for the Timbers since he arrived in 2011. Uh, I, I think there's a good chance you're going to see the Timbers look to different ideas. Even thereafter, though, you know, I, I, it remains an open question. We haven't really seen whether Chara is going to be enough of an answer to that sort of Nagby adjacent question uh, about how the Timbers are going to operate in transition uh, in, in his absence now. Uh, and so I do think it's also possible, given the openness of 
uh, of that issue, I do think it's possible that, that we are going to have to see a little bit more flexibility uh, from Savarese and from the Timbers and maybe see a little bit of a different set going forward. So, yeah, I think that I, I, I just think this is this is much more of a mystery than 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 I thought it was, frankly, even two weeks ago when we talked last. Uh, looking us away from the first team games for a moment, we're going to come back to them in just a second. But looking away uh, from those first team games for just a moment, uh, it's worth noting that during this trip down to Tucson, the Timbers reserves totally dominated. Like they were, I don't know another word for it. It's just dominated. Uh, they dominated. <laughs> they played two games primarily. Uh, the one was was a you know it was the game the middle game of that three game set in the second trip to Tucson against New York Red Bulls. It really was sort of New York Red Bulls too. There were there were some first team guys that are going to be loaned down uh, to the second team. There were, there were some academy guys, but for the most part, it was basically what you would expect to see the Red Bulls too to roll out in USL you know on a relatively normal week. Uh, and the Timbers sort of not non-starters uh won that game four to one and the only goal against was a like pretty spectacular own goal by vitas um <laughs> that was pretty that was awesome uh and, and the other one so i mean you know they scored five times uh and then the, the second was was a closed door match uh against houston that happened the same day as the timbers played sporting kansas city sort of so sort of the last day down in Tucson, and the Timbers won that game. And that was sort of the, the, the Timbers, you know, non-starters versus Houston's non-starters straight across the board. Uh, and the Timbers won that game 4-0. They got two goals from Andre Flores. They got a goal from Marco Farfan. They got a go- goal from uh, Julio Cascante. Uh, and, you know, as the scoreline shows, we're all over Houston. How significant is that? Is this something that is, that is in the end, not all that important? Or, or do you think this is getting at uh, a, a bigger point for the Timbers this year? It, it could be something that, that is quite important. I, I think when, with the signings we've seen the Timbers make this offseason, they've brought in a lot of TAM-level guys that aren't necessarily in that starting group right now. These are good players, players they expect to play and be capable of playing a significant role for them this season. And, and a lot of those guys, at the moment at least, are depth pieces for the Timbers. So I, I think what it shows is that the Timbers might be a much deeper team this year, and they might be a deeper team than other teams across MLS. Now it's two games. I I think in the case of New York, it was maybe not their second group. So the Timbers had a little bit uh, of maybe an advantage there and it is preseason. So I don't want to read too much into it, but I do think it could be a sign that the Timbers have a deeper squad this year. And that is going to be something that could be really helpful in a 34 game season. Yeah, I definitely think the, the the depth that the Timbers have is notable, and 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 this is going to lead into sort of our next four talking points, really. Uh, but look, I mean, yeah, you're talking about a game in which the the Timbers were playing, you know, Julio Cascante, who is a TAM signing. Uh, my understanding is, I'm I'm actually not entirely sure about this, but the Timbers may have been playing in that game, Christian Paredes, a TAM signing. Uh, I don't think they played in that game, Andy Polo, because he did start in the, in the game against sporting Kansas city. And that would be an awful lot of duty. Uh, but you know, they, they had guys like Zarek Valentin and like Marco Farfan, uh, Andres Flores, who, uh, who had himself a really, really nice, uh, a really, really nice preseason. Um, you know, and, and, and Jeremy Abobasi and, and the likes of those kinds of guys, Victor Arboleda, who had him, who also had a, a nice trip down to Tucson. And, and so, you know, they had all of those guys in that game. And, and look, 
You, you compare that to how these other teams are sort of putting together their squads, how Houston's putting together uh, their squad. You even go back to the first session in Tucson and, and, and how that group also showed well uh, during that, that first session. And I think it's really notable. And it's really it's especially notable because, you know, I mean, going back to our last point before we proceed on to the next one, that's what gives Geo the flexibility that he needs in order to, if the 4-2-3-1 setup just isn't working out, that's what gives him the flexibility to to, to try something different, to go to, uh, you know, maybe the diamond 4-4-2 that he, that he showed at times. There was a, there was sort of a, a 4-1-4-1 that played like kind of a cattywampus 4-3-3 uh, in, in, in certain moments against Sporting Kansas City. And, and, and so when you have that flexibility of personnel, it allows you also to be tactically flexible. And I'm not sure that's something the Timbers have always had uh, over the course of the last few seasons. I, I think when you looked at the Timbers roster, basically over the course of most of Caleb Porter's tenure, it really made sense for, for that sort of 4-2-3-1-4-3-3 setup that Porter really liked and that the Timbers didn't deviate a whole lot from. Uh, and, and so when you see the roster now and see the coach that they brought in, a coach who is, and this isn't a knock on Porter at all. I mean, this is just a philosophical difference, not necessarily a, a, a you know, a pejorative by any means, but you see somebody like Savarese who is known for being tactically more flexible between and within games. And now you see how the roster is built and you say, yeah, that looks like a roster that's built a lot more toward somebody like Gio Savarese than Caleb Porter. Whereas in years past, it's been a roster that's built been built very much toward the way Caleb Porter liked to play. And so uh, I do think the, the the fact that the Timbers reserves are doing did so well down in Tucson really speaks well uh, to the construction of this roster and, and giving Gio the tools that he needs in order to be the coach that he is. Okay. Let's talk position battles because I think the, this is sort of the natural outgrowth uh, of our last discussion. Uh, and let's start with the letter A for Adi or Armenteros. Uh, A for Adi or Armenteros. This is now the, the big position battle. Fernando Adi has been, of course, the incumbent, is a designated player, uh, has scored approximately a billion goals for the Timbers over the course of the last uh, three seasons. Uh, and and now his spot in the lineup is being challenged, and it's being challenged uh, by Samuel Armenteros, who won the Golden Boot in the Mobile Mini Sun Cup. To the extent we knew there was such a thing, there apparently is, and he took some funny pictures with it. Uh, so, as between the two, Adi versus Armenteros, what is your assessment of that battle? I, I think if it was just based on preseason, Armenteros would have won that battle easily. I, I think what he did, I think four goals, two assists in 120 minutes. That that's a statement that he made in preseason. That said, what Audi has done for this team over the last three or so years is something that I don't think can be overlooked. I think it's more likely at this point that we still see Audi in the lineup. Now, there's a chance that Geo, like we've talked about, will maybe start the season with a 4-4-2, maybe find a way to get both those guys on the field. But assuming he does not do that, that he sticks more with the system that only has one forward, I think at least in the beginning of the year, we will continue to see Audi uh, given that he's a veteran, given that he's a proven goal scorer for the Timbers and an MLS, starting in that role with Armenteros coming in off the bench. But I also think that could change very easily if Armenteros continues coming in and continues to produce. I, I think at some point that is something that Gio's going to have to look at it and he's going to have to play the player uh, that is producing more often. Uh, I also think, as we talked about earlier, that 
even if Armenteros is coming in off the bench, I, I think we could see him coming in a lot earlier than we've seen um, past players coming off the bench on, under Caleb Porter and, and under how the Timbers played in the last few years. I, I, I tend to agree, uh, basically all together. I, I, I think this is uh, notable for the fact that it is now certainly a competition. Uh, I think it is very probable and this is this foreshadows what I'm going to uh, say a little bit later in the show as well. I, I think it's probable that we see both start uh, this weekend just because that's the set that I think looked the best over the course of the, the last couple of weeks in, in, in Tucson. And so I think that is there is a good chance or at least play together for a very significant uh, period of the game. Uh, so I, I think we'll see a lot of Samuel Armenteros, but... I, I I think Adi has learned error excuse me has earned the benefit of the doubt when it comes to a poor preseason and frankly he did have a pretty poor preseason as far as performances uh, in the games and those are only a few snapshots but he wasn't super effective for the Timbers in, in those games but look I mean you look at somebody with the credentials that he has and with the contributions that he's made since he showed up in 2014 and that's not a guy you you cast to the bench. Lightly, that's not a guy uh, that you, you give up on, on on easily by any means. He is a major, major part of the team as he has been throughout. And frankly, there's not a reasonable argument to the contrary. Uh, and, and so, I, I do not think it'll be a quick hook for Adi. Uh, but look, I mean, you also can't keep Armateros off the field, uh, and and so there's, <laughs> I guess, an obvious answer to that, uh, which is you don't keep Armateros off the field. Uh, and, 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 and you either, uh, platoon them very liberally, uh, in which you're making sure to get Armenteros a, a good amount of run, whether it's a, a, as a starter or as somebody who's coming off the bench for 25, 30 minutes, uh, or you look to, uh, to play them both up top. And we did see that have some success, uh, especially in that game for, for a brief period against FC Dallas. So I wouldn't be shocked to see them both start, uh, on Sunday. I think that would be an interesting look. And I think the Timbers uh, very well may do it. So the next one, and this also plays into that exact discussion, Andy Polo versus Dairon Espria versus neither. So it's a it's a three-way competition. Jamie Goldberg, what do you say? Yeah, I mean, if they go with the 4-4-2, I, I think you end up with, with neither uh, there. And I... I think this one's a tough one for me. I, I honestly could could see it being any of the three. Uh, I, I think if you want Armateros on the field, if you're going solely on, on preseason performance and, and how he did, I, I think you go for with the four four two, and you recognize that uh, the the four two three one was just not working that well in preseason. I, I think that probably makes the best sense if you're if you're basing it off for um, off preseason, but. If Geo sticks with the, the how, kind of the mentality, kind of the approach that he had said he was going to use going into the season, and he does stick with a, the the four two three one formation um, of Polo versus Spria, I, I think it's hard to leave Spria off the field. I, I think he had a very good preseason, and I think while Polo showed some moments, I, I think he's a guy that uh, Savaresi might give more time to adjust and settle in. Um, before maybe moving into the starting lineup, because I think it's hard to take a spree off the field if you're using that formation, given the preseason that he had. I don't think Espria had a good preseason as a whole necessarily. I think he had very good moments and a very good performance in 
a game that I'm now not immediately <laughs> recalling. Uh, <laughs> I think it was it the Houston game. I think it may have been the Houston yeah, game in which he had a very, very good performance. The best we've ever seen him. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I, I think he was fine. Otherwise, I think he was as expected, maybe even a little bit better uh, otherwise. But I, I don't think I would go so far as to say he had sort of a good preseason overall, which is why I, I think this is totally wide open. I think this is a position battle that is ongoing, and I don't see either guy having a ton of an upper hand. I, I think it was, frankly, not a coincidence that that Polo got the start in that last game uh, against Kansas City, even if uh, he wasn't necessarily a game-breaker in that game. I, I didn't think he was poor uh, either, and, and you know, I, it's not like I was sitting there through the entire game pining for Dirona Spria to come on the field. Uh, and, and you know, I, I, I think this is... Yeah, just wide open. So to be continued, uh, but it wouldn't surprise me if if this weekend and maybe in the short term we do see some of the the third option, which is neither, and that both are sort of primary options off the bench. Next one, Vitotas Andruskevicius versus Marco Farfan. Did you like how I said all of Vitas's name there? Yeah, I haven't heard that in a while. Uh, yeah, pretty impressive actually getting the pronunciation right there. Or, or... thanks. Or I assume. Like close to right, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, it, 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 unless there are people who are Lithuanian listening <laughs> to this podcast, I don't think I'm going to be corrected, so. <laughs> um, I, I think that this is an interesting one, and I, I think Marco Farfan at this point has a chance to win this position because, um, as I, I think we'll discuss later, um, at some point, Vitas isn't going to be available this weekend. He's dealing with a hamstring injury, and, and that's going to give Farfan a chance most likely to, to get a run in the starting lineup for one or, or a few games. And after his preseason performance, I, I think he can win this position. I, I think Vitas had <laughs> given the positional battle. Vitas did not have a good preseason. Uh, he had moments of looking okay, but he had also some spectacularly bad moments and it ended with him injuring himself in the final game. I think Farfan overall had a very good preseason. I, I think we've seen him, we saw him play some of the best soccer we've seen out of him so far. I, I think there was, I'm now also forgetting which game it was, but there, I think there was one game where he didn't look quite as good. Um, Dallas, Dallas, the Dallas game yeah. was, it was a bit of a struggle. He also struggled in Kansas city, but I like put zero yeah, credit I, in that because he had already played an entire game that day. So the, that's nothing, but the Dallas game, he did struggle. Go yeah, ahead. yeah. Yeah. And I, Agreed. I kind of put the Kansas City one out of my mind for the same reason, just because it was a little unfair on him coming in after playing a, a full game that day. So his preseason wasn't perfect. He He's still a youngster. He's still growing. You can expect that there's going to be some hiccups along the way. But if you're just basing it off preseason, he won that battle. And now he's going to get a chance to show that he deserves to keep that position in, in a game or so. And I think if he performs against L.A. and he looks like a guy that deserves to be in the lineup. I don't think Vitas is going to be back on in the starting lineup when he gets healthy. I agree. I think Marco's got a, got a nose in front right now. Uh, and I don't know how much of this is wishful thinking and how much of it is, is realistic, but I, I, I think Marco should have a nose in front right now. I, I think over the balance of preseason, even, even with, uh, you know, his not great performance against Dallas, uh, but over the, the course of preseason, it was clear who the better left back was. Uh, that, Person was also the, the the person who is a really 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 promising nineteen uh, year old youngster who the club and 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 who Gio should be looking to get first team minutes for, uh, and and I think all of that means that that Farfan should have his nose in front right now regardless of of health uh, you know and and of course that 
can absolutely change. If Marco comes out and does not look like he's ready to take the job full time, if he has a few uh, performances where he struggles more like that Dallas game and unlike some of the others uh, that we saw him play down in Tucson. Uh, by the way, that that game that he played before Kansas City, he was one of the the folks that, you know, sort of the discussion coming out of that game was he was a man of the match in that game. He scored a goal uh, on a left-footed volley. So, I mean, chalk that up for another strong performance uh, from Marco. But, yeah, I mean, over the balance of preseason, I, I can't think of a single reason, frankly, why I would say Vitas should still be in front other than the fact that he was the guy that was in front at the end of last year. And I don't think that's a very good reason. So, you know, I, I think Marco should be uh, in front in this position, not forever and ever if he doesn't perform. But look, if he does come in and perform, and he doesn't have to perform perfectly because he's he's young. I mean, you've got to give him a little bit of a leash. But if he does come in by and large uh, and show progress from last year, uh, show that he's getting a little bit more consistent than he was last year, that he showed that he's getting his defensive chops uh, put together a little bit more, that, that he's able to be a little, little bit physically more in defensive challenges and the like, uh, I think it's not a hard call uh, and, and that Marco should keep it for the foreseeable future uh, if he can meet those benchmarks. Jake Gleason versus Jeff Adanella. This is, in my view, a hard one simply because we haven't seen these two guys both healthy at the same time very much. And so I, I think it's sort of hard to compare. Adanella right now has, it sounds like a quad strain uh, based on my understanding from Gio's press conference today. Gleason is healthy. We certainly expect Gleason to start uh, in, in the game down at LA, where do you sort of assess the positional battle as a whole? All of that, notwithstanding. Yeah, I, I think those were two players that are, are pretty close. Uh, and I think Adonella had the upper hand going into preseason, but both him and Gleason had some injuries along the way. And right now Gleason is the one that's healthy. And, and given how close those two were, I, I do think that this is a situation where if Gleason goes out and he looks good, there's no real reason to make the change. And so this is one of those situations where Adonella entered with the upper hand, uh, was the goalkeeper that won the position last year, but he might end up on the bench because he suffered an injury at a bad time. Sort of the Adam Quarase, uh the way of losing your job, I suppose, but uh, to Jake Gleason, coincidentally. But yeah, I, I, I think that's about right, that if Gleason performs and performs like he did against Kansas City, in which he was excellent, uh, nothing short of excellent, frankly. If he performs at that level, like he did uh, sort, of, sort of in the second half of 2016, uh, I, I think Jake Gleason will keep the job. If he performed as he did in the first half of 2017, I think Jake Gleason will not keep the job. <laughs> and Jeff Adanello will, uh, will, will take it, or the Timbers potentially even could go uh, bring in somebody else to fill it. Um, okay, a little bit of news post-Tucson. We found out this week that Timbers, too, uh, has signed Honduran striker Darikson Vuelto. He is a 20-year-old striker who was most recently down at Real España, down in the Honduran top flight. Uh, Vuelto previously has been a, a Honduran youth international, including with the U-20s in the run-up and at uh, the U-20 World Cup last year. He scored just this last season, kind of a breakout. He scored 10 goals for Real España uh, over the course of the not-yet-complete season uh, down there. And... Uh, he will not be completing that season because he is apparently going to be traveling to Portland sometime in the next week or two uh, to sign a contract and to get all set up uh, and, and acclimated with T2. Jamie, what do we know about this signing and how do you think it sort of works into 
the Timbers sort of broader, uh, I guess, development, you know, depth chart, so to speak. I mean, clearly this is not somebody who is on an ordinary T2 contract. Reports down from Honduras indicated that the the transfer fee was about $400,000. So this is clearly somebody that they're looking to bring to the first team at some point and probably at some point within the next year. How do you think he sort of works into the the pecking order with guys like Jeremy Abobasi, Foster Langsdorf, uh, Victor Arboleda, et cetera, et cetera? Where uh, in, in that do you think he may land? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of attacking talent the Timbers now have in in their system. He is clearly a guy that they're bringing him to potentially sign as early as the summer if he performs at the T2 level and maybe, if not, to sign to the first team in 2019. Given the resources they're putting into acquiring him, given the fact that other MLS teams were interested in signing him as well, I think he's a guy that they expect will play at the T2 level, and that might force some of these other attacking players to end up on the bench or find less playing time um, at the T2 level. I think T2 has certainly improved in the off season. We'll see if that translates onto the field after the terrible uh, season they had last year, but, but there have a lot, it, they are looking to be a lot better than they were last season. And there's looking to be a lot more talent in the Timbers pipeline at this point. I, I think it is a big question where someone like Jeremy Abobasi, Foster Langsdorf lands at this point and where they fall in the depth chart and whether the Timbers can give them the minutes that they deserve either with the first team or at the T2 level, even when they're adding uh, another strong attacker. Um, But, but I think they're bringing in uh, well to the play. I I mean, I don't think they would have put that investment in if they weren't expecting to give him the opportunity to play at the T2 level and and potentially prove that he deserves a contract with the first team. Yeah. And he's the, the kind of guy that, uh, especially if the Timbers get a reasonable sort of schedule and, uh, and, draw in the u.s open cup you would very much expect to see sort of loaned up to the first team for a u.s open cup game or two depending on how uh, on how far the timbers go uh but yeah i i think that's exactly right they they brought him into play when you talk to folks who sort of watch central american football a little bit more than i do uh there's quite a bit of enthusiasm about this guy there are there are some folks that think uh that vuelto is a very much a future full hunter and international uh, and could even be sort of the, the the their primary option up top, uh, or is their top striker prospect in, in the in the system right now? And so uh, the Houston Dynamo, we know we're after him. We're after him hard. Uh, GM Matt Jordan was down in Honduras to watch him and and to try to work something out. Even just a couple of weeks ago, that seems actually like kind of interesting to me because the Timbers have obviously been interested and engaged and had the discovery rights. So the fact that they were Apparently pretty aggressively, uh, nonetheless, scouting Vuelto uh, and going after him and even commenting uh, to Alicia Rodriguez at the league website sort of about their pursuit of him uh, suggests they really wanted him. <laughs> uh, and they were sort of, sort of even towing the line of, of, the, of discovery rules uh, in trying to get him. So uh, it is. It's a, it's a very interesting signing. Uh, it's one that I, I think we will probably have to see play out at the T2 level, but Look, I mean, it just reinforces the fact that if Foster Langsdorf wants to come in and, and, and wants to get minutes and, and wants to make it, he's going to have to earn it. Uh, same thing with Jeremy Abosi. And, and and even down now at the T2 level, you can see that there's not going to be anything that's just handed to anybody. And uh, I think the amount of talent they have there 
sets the team up. If Cameron Knowles can do the job that he needs to do with that team to be more successful, to be much more competitive, uh, and to be a much better developmental uh, d- d- developmental sort of tool for, for the Timbers organization this year. Uh, and you certainly hope that's the case for Vuelto, for uh, Abobasi, for somebody like an Eric Williams, uh, you know, and Harold Hansen and, and Lamar Bartista and, and those kinds of folks that we expect to see down with T2 this year. So very interesting one, one to keep an eye on. Going to make it, uh, I, I think, a bit more fun to go out to T2 games this year. Those games, by the way, will be split about evenly between Providence Park and Merlot Field. Uh, T2 will be going back out to Merlot for some games. I just hope Taste Bud Pizza will also be going back out because it is delicious. Okay, the Timbers, they waived Chance Myers today. This, by all means, uh, appears to be just a, a, a simple salary cap move uh, to wipe Myers's contract off the books. Uh, Myers leaves after about a year in Portland. They signed him last winter as a free agent, but he played all of 44 minutes uh, for the first team before he was injured uh, against RSL, had a, a handful of injuries. And, and if it wasn't injuries, it was form where he was never able to sort of push Alvis Powell uh, and, and, and not only to provide a competition, but also to provide depth at right back. Anything to say about that? A really great guy. So unfortunate uh, that, that it did not work out uh, with, with the Timbers, but I, I don't think there are that many people that are all that, you know, surprised yeah, <laughs> about this. I, I, I think it was going to be an uphill battle given his contract and the cap hit for him to make this team, but they certainly gave him the opportunity to come into preseason. <laughs> Unfortunately for him, he, we saw him earlier this week. He, he suffered an injury in Tucson. So he was waived at a point where he is dealing with yet another injury and, um, it, it's disappointing for, for a guy that had put together a pretty good MLS career here. It seems like the injury bug over the last year or so uh, has just kind of railed things for him. And hopefully he lands on his feet elsewhere because, like you said, it does sound like he was a stand-up guy, uh, but it just didn't make sense for the Timbers to keep him on the roster. And really since 2013, I mean, not to sort of go yeah. pour one out for Chance <laughs> Myers, but, you know, this is a guy that, you know, 2011, 2012, 2013 for Peter Vermees' Sporting Kansas City team, was one of the better fullbacks in MLS. I mean, was one of the better right backs in MLS. He was a former number one draft pick. I mean, I, I think if you'd looked at him at the age of 25, you would have said, man, this guy, you know, probably has some legs to get up into the U.S. men's national team potentially, or at least to be sort of one of those really, really good uh, MLS, you know, sort of career MLS fullbacks in, in, in the vein of maybe a Steven Betasher or a Justin Morrow or something like that, not to pick Toronto's fullbacks from last year, but kind of to pick Toronto's fullbacks from <laughs> last year. Um, but, you know, I, I, and you expected him to be one of those guys. And, and really just from that point on, just injury after injury after injury prevented him from sort of taking those, those next steps in his career and, and finding that peak and finding that consistent form. And so uh, really, you know, I mean, it's, it's not an unfamiliar story uh, in soccer. You certainly see it happen, uh, but it is nonetheless, you know, it's no less unfortunate when it does, especially to a, a, a you know, guy that just of as good a character as chance has. So unfortunate to see that, that go, but I, I think you understand why it happened and well, that's just what it is. Timbers versus LA Galaxy. As we talked about, we have a real game to look forward to. The Galaxy have undergone a little bit of a makeover. And when I say a little bit of a makeover, I mean quite a lot of a makeover over the course of the offseason. You could see, depending on uh, exactly how the selections go, you could see you know four or five players in the Galaxy starting lineup uh, on, on Sunday evening at 7 o'clock that 
were not with the team. Uh, last time we saw the Galaxy back in October, uh, Ola Kamara has been essentially swapped out for J- Jesse Zardes. He is going to be up top. Perry Kitchen is coming back to MLS after a couple of years uh, away with Hearts and Randers. Uh, he will be sort of sort of the starting defensive midfielder, it appears, uh, for, for the Galaxy this year. Previously with DC United, had an excellent season. Remember, he was the guy that everybody was like, Nagby, Kitchen, Nagby, Kitchen. And then Vancouver was like, Salgado. And everybody was like, what? Um, so that's who Perry Kitchen is. Very good defensive midfielder. Uh, Going to be stepping back into MLS with the Galaxy this year. Uh, David Bingham, who lo- who sort of went out of favor last year, but was previously really on the on the brink of the U.S. men's national team setup, uh, but lost favor, lost form last year in San Jose. He is now down in Galaxy to take over on goal. They've also brought in a couple internationals and Rolf Felcher. I think I said that wrong. Uh, a Venezuelan inter- international uh, and, and Jorgen Skelvik. I think I probably also said that wrong. Uh, a Norwegian international to, to reinforce the back line. And then, of course, uh, the Galaxy also have second overall draft pick in the, in the MLS Super Draft, Tomas uh, Hilliard Arce out of Stanford, a, a center back out of Stanford uh, to, to sort of reinforce their team as well. So that's a lot of new pieces for uh, the Galaxy. There is a good, good chance that you're going to see the majority of those in the lineup on, on Sunday. How much better uh, overall seeing that, that, that you know, offseason of activity, how much better do you expect this Galaxy team to be this year? I mean, I, I expect them to be quite a bit better from last year, but last year was a really, really rough season for them. I, I think this Galaxy team can can compete for a playoff spot this year. I, I don't necessarily expect them to be competing for one of the top spots in the Western Conference. I, I think it's hard to com- judge exactly where they'll finish at this point. There, there's a lot of questions, even though they have made all these moves. I, I mean, that's a significant amount of changes. And so we're going to have to see how it kind of comes together for them. Um, but I expect them to be much more of a contender, at least in terms of getting a playoff spot this year than they were last year. Uh, but I would be surprised to see them back up at one, two, even three in the conference. Yeah, I generally agree that they're sort of going to be in, you know, they very well could be in and among the group that's that's kind of battling it out in that middle of the Western Conference uh, to get into the playoffs. It wouldn't shock me if they if they did uh, put it together, if Ziggy Schmidt did put that team together and, and got it uh, into the top half of the conference. By the way, everybody talks about how in MLS everybody make, makes the playoffs. This year it's only the top half. Uh, of the West that's going to make the playoffs. So, I mean, it's a much more of sort of an NBA-like setup now uh, than when it was, what, 12 out of 20 teams uh, or, or, or something like that uh, a couple of years ago. Um, but, yeah, I, I do expect them to be better in, in, in that ballpark. You know, just from preseason, though, I, I think this team still has some issues. Uh, I, I think the back line is far from put together, uh, and, and that's a major issue. Uh, because there's going to be a lot of attacking talent in MLS this year. And, and if your back line is, is not, you know, at least competent, uh, and they have had some moments of incompetence in, in preseasons, especially against Vancouver uh, in their last preseason game, that could really punish you. Um, so I, I think that is an issue, and, and that may be a little bit of a work in progress. We'll see how that comes together over the course of this week. And then look, I mean, here's the other thing. Romain Alessandrini was outstanding last season, and, and so he is sort of accepted from this. But the Galaxy also need quite a bit of just internal improvement from guys. The, the Dos Santos brothers last year were super disappointing. And, and I don't say that as, you know, I, I, I don't mean the team was disappointing in spite of them. I mean, they were part, they were a huge part of the disappointment. Those are two highly paid designated player type guys 
that did not live up to their end of the bargain last season. And, and if they don't live up to, to their end of the bargain this season, the Galaxy aren't going to the playoffs, period. I, I don't know if they're going to be down in necessarily Minnesota, Colorado land, uh, but they're not going to the playoffs and they're probably not going to be all that close to it. And so if they don't get that internal improvement from those guys, that's going to kill them. Uh, you know, legit, especially legit battled injuries last year. Uh, he's got to be healthy. He's got to be back in form in the form that got him uh, on the brink of the U S men's national team setup. He's got to re- rediscover that form. Uh, and while I think Ola Kamara is a, a an, a, an immediate upgrade over Jesse's artist, I think there's a good argument to, to be made that we're going to find out exactly what kind of a player he is individually now, because frankly, there's a strong argument from Kai Kamara to Ola Kamara now with Jesse Zardes scoring goals like crazy in preseason for Columbus. That, that his production in Columbus had more to do with Columbus than it did with Ola. And so we'll see exactly how all of that comes to, comes together. So I, I do think this is a team about which there are still questions. I'm not ready to anoint them as, as a definite playoff team and, and as being, uh, you know, in the upper half of the conference, even if I think they could be. Uh, but yeah, so I think there's a good amount of mystery uh, about the Galaxy heading down uh, for the opener this weekend. Diego Chara, will he play? If so, how much? I, I don't think he'll start, given that a, I think in Tucson, he got 15 minutes in one preseason game and 30 minutes in the closed-door preseason game, if I'm remembering correctly, and was talking after the 15 minutes that his foot was still sore. It's obviously been a, a week or so since then. He's probably taken steps forward, but... I, I don't expect him to at this point, given the preseason that he had to be ready to play 90 minutes and, and given the position that he plays um, for me, that means that he might not play at all. I, I think it's going to really depend on how the game kind of shapes up. Uh, obviously if the Timbers have a, a strong lead, uh, they, they can bring him in both as defensive depth and also to get him some more minutes. But if they're gunning for a goal at the end of the game, they, they might not be able to, use a substitution on Chara. They, they might want to bring in uh, Armenteros or, or, or Polo or Espria, depending uh, on who's on the bench. So I, I think we'll probably see him in the 18, given that he is traveling to the game, but I, I would not necessarily expect him to play. I do expect him to play, and I expect him to play as much as he's able to play. Uh, it's Diego Char. I mean, you got to get him integrated at some point. The, the Timbers have gone through sort of those initial progression stages of 15, 30 minutes. They don't have a T2 right now because the T2 t- season hasn't yet started and won't start for a few weeks. Uh, they don't have a T2 team that they can stick him on and, and get that first 60 minute uh, or 45 minute outing uh, in in with. And so I, I expect him to play as much as he's able to go. I don't know if that means it's another 30 or if it's 45 or it's 60, uh, but I, I, I would be surprised if we don't see him in L.A. For, for at least that period. So it wouldn't shock me if Chara you know, saw 30 minutes or, or, or 45 or even came in at halftime or something like that uh, for somebody like Christian Paredes. I feel like if if they do decide, and maybe that is the the route they'll go. I, I think if they do decide to play him, maybe forty five minutes or or even fifty sixty. I, I think it would make maybe more sense then to start him um, to potentially, if they think he's ready at the point that he can play and be effective in those minutes, start him and then make a substitution later in the game based on where the game ha- has played out to that point. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens, but but I, I yeah. think. If I think we're going be. that sense, maybe he'll be in the starting lineup. 
you know, and, and play the first half or something like that. And then you can make your decision at that point. Do you go with somebody like Paredes? Uh, maybe if you're holding a lead, do you go in Olam? Uh, yeah, or, or exactly. you know, if you're needing to push for goals, maybe you bring on somebody like Armenteros and, and, and switch up the formation a little bit. So that very well could be. But, uh, you know, in any event, I, I expect we'll see him get more minutes than we've seen to date just because they need to make that progression. Uh, because, look, I mean, they don't want to wait until April to have, have him back. Owen wants to know what is your projected starting lineup? For Sunday, Jamie. That's right. So this, this is a, there's a lot of question marks actually in it. Um, this, Tons of question marks, <laughs> particularly with Chara as question. Um, I am gonna go with the start. Okay, I, I I'm gonna predict an eleven, but uh, but I could see three or four changes, and it would not at all shock me in what we're gonna see. I think there could be a different formation. Um, but I'm going to kind of go with the 4-2-3-1 um, formation that we have seen Geo use at the start of games, in at least in preseason, even though it wasn't effective in some of those games. I, I'm going to stick with that for now. Um, I, Gleason's going to start in goal. We know that because Adanella uh, is an injury. Farfan is going to be at left back because of Vitas's injury. I, I think we'll have... Ridgewell and Mabiala at center back, Alvis Powell at right back. I think that's the easier part of the field to predict. I think we'll see Guzman uh, and Paredes start the game. And I think given that that pairing seemed to work a little bit better, I, I think that might be one that, that Gio makes that change and, and takes Olam out of the, uh, off the field. I, I think uh, we'll have Valeri, um, and then on the wings, Blanco and Espria and then Adi up top. Said 11 players there, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that was 11. Uh, I agree with the goalkeeper back line. Uh, I'm going to go a diamond midfield that's got, got Guzman at the back. Uh, Chara on one side, Blanco on the other, uh, with Blanco pushing a little bit higher than Chara. Uh, Valeri at the point of the diamond and then the uh, and then good old Armadi uh, right up top in, in a pairing. That... I mean, I don't know. That's probably more wishful thinking. I think that'd be kind of fun. It might be more wishful thinking than reality. Uh, but nonetheless, I, you know, I, I, I agree with you, though. I could absolutely sort of chart this out four or five different ways that I think would be sort of plausible, you know, w- w- lineups that would make sense uh, at this point for, for Gio to, to, to pursue. He was in absolutely no mood today to even like remotely tip his hand to the point where like it was a little bit comical. Um <laughs> But so, yeah, we really have no idea which, you know, and, and the, the outcoming of that, the outcome of that is, look, I mean, I think you could over the course of, of the last as long as I could remember, more or less sort of guess how the Timbers were going to come out in a game and be, you know, pretty close down to one or two spots in, in the vast majority of games. This is not one of those games. <laughs> uh, this is there are a lot of different ways that this could shape up, and that means that uh, you know my guess is Ziggy Schmid is going through much the same exercise we are right now, and, and is thinking about how he wants to set up uh, his team in response to a bunch of different potential uh, timber setups. So it's going to be an interesting one uh, to see how that plays out. A few more timbers questions here. Ethan wants to know what point total. Are you expecting slash realistically hoping for uh, in this season opening five game road trip, Jamie? Um, realistically hoping for I seven. Uh, maybe I'm expecting maybe six. 
Um, I, I'm not super confident about the, this stretch opening the season. I think the Timbers could pick up some wins. I think they have the talent. They have enough returners that they should be able to um, step up and get some points. But but at the same time, they have some key changes. There's no more Darlington Agby. They have a bunch of lineup questions. They have formation questions, as we mentioned, and a new coach, a new style. And I, I think it might be a little bit of a rough go for them trying to put everything together early in the season. And the fact that they're on the road is not going to help that. So um, maybe six or seven, but I, I think more than that would be, would be very good to, to see them start off with uh, something like nine. Yeah. More than, more than that would be very, very good. I, I think the goal is probably, you know, the, the reasonable expectation, I suppose is six to eight. Uh, points as you put it seven being in the middle to six and eight um and that's you know i mean that that would not be bad if the timbers come out even even with six points you know they're a little bit over a point per game in 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 five away games that's not terrible by any means uh and and especially given all of those other factors that the timbers are also trying to juggle right now i think you would get to that point and say all right not great there's a lot of work to do and they got a lot of work to do at home but you know they're still very much sort of in the race they haven't done anything in the first five games uh that's going to really handicap them going forward but look i mean even the five games that they're playing in this road trip are not easy games it's a ton of travel uh they have some pretty good teams in in there they've got the galaxy who as we talked about a little bit of a wild card new york red bulls good team fc dallas just got upset in conquer cap champions league so maybe that doesn't speak super well for them but a very talented team nonetheless uh, going to the Chicago Fire, good team. Uh, Orlando City, a lot of people think Orlando City is the most improved team over the course of this offseason. Those are five tough road games. There, there's not a trip uh, to Minnesota or Colorado or, or one where you're saying that should be three points. And so the Timbers are going are gonna to have to pull off a couple pretty darn good performances just to get to that sort of six to eight point expectation. Uh, and that's, yeah. Not easy. It's going to be a real challenge for them in the, in these first uh, five or six weeks of the season as they're trying to get go through uh, the this five-game road spell. Ranch Boy wants to know, will we actually play the kids? Will the Timbers actually play the kids on the first team? And which of the youngsters do you expect to see significant playing time in 2018? So, so not just looking right now, because I think right now the answer is Marco Farfan, <laughs> right? But over the course of the season, which of the youngsters do you expect to see uh, get meaningful playing time. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be a, a rough go for players like Jeremy Abobasi, Foster Langsdorf. I, I don't see an obvious way that the Timbers are going to be able to get those guys minutes. And I, I think for Abobasi that they, if they go with a four, four, two, maybe there's more of a chance for him to come on uh, as a substitute. But if they do stick with one forward, I, I think it's going to be pretty tough for him. And I, I think that's a little disappointing given the promising campaign he had last year. I think given the players they brought in and the ages of many of these players, there, there are opportunities for young players to get playing time. I think Paredes is expected to get playing time. I, I think Polo is probably anticipated to start, depending on the formation, uh, even if he doesn't necessarily start this game, which he might. But um, even if that's a little bit of a question mark going into this initial game, I, he, I think he's it, the expect, expectation is he will earn a starting spot, or they hope he will. And I, I do think Farfan, uh, at, at this point, I, I think that it's a position that he could win uh, and it's his to lose. So I think those three guys, uh, I also think Julio Cascante, um, although I think he's a little older. I'm trying to remember his exact age. 
24. 24. He's so 24. he's a little dull. And Polo also on that line with at, at 23, you know, I guess if you're going to include Polo, you got to include Alvis Powell, right? Yeah. But, you know, I mean, in any event uh, of those guys, the only guy that I would add to that is Victor Arboleda. I, I think over the course of the season, we are going to see multiple hundred minutes from Victor Arboleda. I, I, I think it was a very good uh, preseason for him in which he really showed signs of sort of putting together the pieces that he has struggled to put together in the past. Uh, and so I, I think, I don't know if it's going to be immediately or if it's going to be next month or if it's going to be three months down the road, four months down the road, but I am willing to go out on a limb and say that I, I think Arbor, Arboleda is going to get work his way into uh, the lineup over the course of the season. I think we'll see a good amount uh, of Christian Paredes. Uh, I was pretty impressed with what uh, I saw from him just sort of stepping into the team immediately as a 19-year-old. Uh, I, I think he was at least adequate. Uh, and and there is obviously a lot of upside both in sort of talent development, but also just in acclimation and getting comfortable uh, for him uh, over the course of, of the season. And the Timbers certainly hope that by the time David Guzman, for example, goes to the World Cup with Costa Rica, that Paredes is going to be ready to step in and put in 90-minute shifts on, on a regular basis. And I don't think he's all that far off uh, from being there right now. Uh, the other guy, just to you know, sort of touch on this, even though we decided he's not actually young, he is young in center back terms yeah. because center backs have a little bit more, uh, a little bit later aging curve. Uh, but I, I think Julio Cascante is somebody who there was sort of increasing excitement over the course of preseason. Uh, I, I don't think he showed quite as well initially as he was, you know, just having his first weeks, week, two weeks with the team. But I think over the course of uh, of that five, those five weeks in Tucson. Uh, and in preseason, he really started to show more and more to the point where he was sort of a co-man of the match of that closed-door game uh, against Houston. So it wouldn't surprise me at all uh, if over the course of the season, if that trend continues for him, it heck, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see him steal a start a starting. I can't speak. <laughs> a starting spot uh, from somebody. So uh, we'll see how that all plays out. But, uh, you know, I do think there will, there will be a lot of players that are young, however you want to define that, playing for the Timbers this year. Well, Eric Williamson get a ton of minutes? You know, if he does well at T2, there, there's no reason why he can't make that case. Will Jeremy Obobese make, make some minutes? Again, if he if he goes down and he and he starts uh, going beast mode on uh, on USL players, like I think he is absolutely capable of doing, I think he could uh, absolutely earn himself some minutes. Uh, you know, so I don't think the door is closing on any of these guys by any means. Uh, but, you know, I, I agree with you. It is a tougher pass just because of the guys in front of him for somebody like a Williamson, who I've also heard had a really good uh, preseason down in Tucson, increasingly good preseason down in Tucson, uh, and, and somebody like a, a Bobasi. Michael wants to know or sort of observes and then asks us to discuss. Chad Marshall, Roman Torres, Ozzy Alonso, and Clint Dempsey have another MLS Cup run in them. Liam Ridgewell, Laris Mabiala, Diego Chara, and Diego Valeri, though, are washed up. And that's going to lead to the Timbers' downfall this season. I added that last part. <laughs> Please discuss. Uh, I think part of this, th- this storyline that's been out there comes from the fact that the Timbers had so many injuries last year. Liam Ridgewell was injured for the majority of the last two seasons and and Diego Chara is coming off an injury. So I, so I understand maybe the tendency to want to say the Timbers uh, have some questions about their older players who seem to be injury prone at this point. 
And I, I understand maybe that narrative that's happening. Diego Chara is not injury prone. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to interrupt you because the, like, I've been yes, hearing this. No, and it's but, like, the dude just literally had one significant injury in his entire time with I was the gonna, I was going to get there. I was saying what people are saying. I understand where they're <laughs> yeah, getting yeah, no, there. I understand. I, I just couldn't I, I, <laughs> couldn't, that, I could not let that balloon float at all. Okay. <laughs> because it, like of all the balloons yeah. here, that's the dumbest one. Diego Chara <laughs> is not an injury prone yeah. player. If you say that, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, so so I mean, I, I I get where the outsider, as I was saying, is getting to there just by looking at the table, saying this guy's injured, this guy's injured, injury prone, old, and Diego Valeri can't replicate the season he did, and that's the only reason the Timbers were as good as they were last year. That that's kind of the narrative from the outsider, but but yeah, I, I think it's a it's an unfair narrative. I, I think if you want to question Liam Ridgewell and what he has left in him, sure, given that he's been injured for for the last two seasons, pretty much. Um, that that is a real question mark, but then the Timbers brought in Cascante, so I think then you have to talk about that discussion. It was the guy they have behind him, a guy that could step in and be effective for them. I think maybe you're going to see Diego Valeri have not have the year he had last year, but there's no reason to think that he's suddenly downhill after having an MVP year. And like you said, which I was going to get to, but like you said, Diego Chara has consistently been in the Timbers lineup injuries have not kept him out and he's pretty close to getting back at this point uh, so I don't think that's a fair argument as well so yeah I, I think it's just a little bit unfair uh, Seattle given what they did the last two years uh, it's easier I think for the outsider to say yeah this team has everything they need uh look they've made these MLS cup runs and, and then look at the Timbers and say well these some of these older players starters are injured and they can't overcome that. But but when you look more closely at what's going on, I, I, yeah, I, I don't think it's a very fair narrative. And it, it kind of seems like that's from a national perspective what everyone's saying about the Timbers right now. You know, and I guess it's not even necessarily that I, with the exception of Chara <laughs> and the injury piece in particular. Uh, I, it's not that I necessarily think the narrative is all that unfair. Because, you know, I mean, on one level, it's fairly obvious. The Timbers do have some key players that are, you know, at the sniff in the milk carton point of their careers. But I, you know, especially somebody like Ridgewell, that's fine. That, that's a totally reasonable thought, just as it's a totally reasonable thought with somebody like Ozzy Alonso. Um, but I think for whatever reason, it has been way, yeah. way, way overemphasized with the Timbers. I mean, like, uh, of course, these are questions that you're that you're going to be asking. And, you know, I mean, it's the reason why you why, you know, if you're saying if the Timbers struggle this season, why would that happen? This is like one of those sort of like potential downfalls. But frankly, it's an argument that I think you could make for a lot of teams. I mean, look, you know, I, I made the point of, uh, of Sasha Kleschen. Uh, everybody is saying that Sasha Kleschen is going to be a game-changing signing for uh, for Orlando City this year. The dude's older than Diego Valeri and Diego Chara, and and in one breath, people are saying, "Ah, Diego Valeri, he's he's never going to be as good as he was." Uh, you know, he, he's on the you know he, he, the, the Timbers. Uh, you know, very well. I don't think the Timbers are contenders because they're going to age out. But I think Sasha Kleschen is going to bring Orlando City to new heights. I mean, come on. Give me a break. Think about this for half a second. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it, and it's the same, same thing with Benny Failhaber down in LAFC. I mean, after that acquisition, everybody was like, oh, LA, what a great signing. Benny Failhaber is older than both of those guys. He's a number eight, just like Diego Chara. 
older than Diego Chara, had a worse season last season than Diego Chara. Why is that a good signing if Diego Chara is if Diego Chara now is somehow too old uh, to be a, an important piece of the, of the Timbers midfield? And so, yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's just a, a matter of this being over sort of emphasized with respect to the Timbers, and and I think it's just a little bit of analytical, frankly, laziness. I think there are things to talk about with this team. I think there there are things to sort of rely on. But when you get to the point, as many in sort of the punditry have, of dismissing the Timbers just because they're aging out, I don't think that's a terribly well-supported argument for starters. And I think it's just sort of a, a lazy way to go, to go about analyzing this team. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's what I think. That, that is my discussion, Michael. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Brendan wants to know, what was the biggest surprise for you of this kind of uneventful offseason? Man, I don't feel like there was a ton of big surprises in terms of, I mean, the Timbers went after the positions we expected them to go after. Um, I mean, Armentero's creating a controversy with Audie and, and doing what he did in preseason to the point that we're questioning whether or not Audie or Armenteros is going to start. I, I thought, think that was a position we assumed was going to be locked up for Audie. Um, so if there's any surprise for me coming out of preseason, it, it's just, uh, even though he had a background, a good track record coming in, I, I don't think we expected him to put necessarily push Audie uh, immediately in the way he did. That's the one. And, and I'll combine it with that. The Timbers were able sort of at a tan level forward to go get a guy of Armenteros's pedigree who then came in and looks to be every bit as good as that pedigree suggests, um, at least through the very sort of beginning uh, 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 of the evidence that we have in, in preseason, being what it's worth. Um, that is, I, I think that is something that if you had asked me if that was going to happen in December, I would have said, no, <laughs> that is not going to happen. The Timbers are not going to sign somebody that's that good. Uh, and and with that kind of pedigree, with that kind of resume to come in, and, and provide a significant challenge to Fernando Adi. Uh, so uh, that is, for me, the biggest surprise of, of the offseason. I think you can, you can make uh, a couple other arguments. Uh, frankly, that, that Marco Farfan has, in my view, put himself ahead uh, of Vitas. I don't think I would have picked that uh, even a couple months ago. So that is certainly one. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think you can, you can make a, a couple other arguments, but... I think it's probably ultimately that Armenteros is more than holding his own uh, in that positional battle with Adi. Thorns, let's talk about it. Haley Rosso today was not in the team for Australia in the beginning of the She Believes Cup. Uh, do we know what the, the deal is with that and, and what is going on with Rosso? And is she going to be joining sort of the Thorns relatively long mash, mash unit uh, at this very early point of preseason? Jamie, do we know anything about it just yet? Uh, as I play music in the background, trying to look up. That's uh, fine. We need some yeah, music. Yeah, no, I was trying to check in to make sure that I had the most recent on Haley Rosso from online and whatever website I'm on decided that it should automatically play some music. Um, it, it does look like from what's being reported that she has some sort of injury, but there isn't any specific um, specific reported info out there on what that injury is. Um, but it is looking like, based on what's out there that she could be out for a couple of weeks, whatever that means. So not a great thing to hear from the Thorns perspective, especially given that they just are, are now dealing with the injury of Caitlin Ford. They just had a massive injury there and Tobin Heath is still coming back. Uh, the last thing they want is another attacking player that could potentially come back injured, but she has some time to recover before coming back to Portland. 
I think this is one we're going to have to follow up on and check in with Mark about, about uh, his conversations with Haley. But from what I'm seeing out there, it is an injury. Uh, we just don't know what it is. Yes, I'm foreseeing a question posed to Mark <laughs> yes. Parsons in the very near future. Uh, we, we have a question in, in the present being posed to us from Curtis, uh, who wants to know, what is Caitlin Ford's outlook? Uh, and, and actually, I'm going to start there. This is a two-part question from Curtis, but it's independent enough that I'm going to break them into two. Uh, what is Caitlin Ford's outlook? Jamie Goldberg? I, I think that, if I'm remembering correctly, that Mark Parsons said that she's progressing well, but she's not with the team, and she's doing her rehab separately. And she could be back, I believe it was July, August, uh, but potentially just um, towards the end of the season. And that was, I think, an optimistic look. Um, it might be more towards the very final game, similar to what something like Tobin Heath did. I would not overall, uh, unless things go very, very well, I, I wouldn't expect her to play much of a role this season unless it's something like Tobin Heath did last year coming in in the very end and trying to give them some spark uh, in the last few games or so into the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, just based on what you know, would you peg it at better than 50-50 that we see her at all this year? Yeah, no, I mean, I think I would say 50-50 at this point. I, I just think it's yeah. unclear. Um, I think they're hopeful, but he, Mark Parsons even said, uh, optimistically, we hope, I, I believe he said July, August, but we just don't know at this point. And I, I think it's something where you, it's a long-term injury and you have to see how she recovers over time. It's, it's unfair really to put a exact timeline on it at the moment. And, and so I think, yeah, 50, 50, whether we see her this season is she might be someone that the thorns are looking at for at this point for next year. So the Thorns have open training camp, albeit with uh, a little bit of a shorthanded roster, kind of a short team right now uh, for the Thorns as they have various people away with, well, injuries, as we've been discussing, uh, but also with national team duty and some folks that just haven't quite gotten into town uh, just yet, as happens most every year. Uh, but what do we know so far? Has preseason given us clues? This is the second half of Curtis's question. Has preseason given us any indication now as to how the Thorns are looking to line up without Ford uh, to start the season and, and, and moving forward? No, I, I don't think it has. I don't think they have enough players really in preseason camp right now to really have an idea of what they're going to look like once they get their, some of their national team players back. I, I think this is uh gonna be a really interesting discussion throughout preseasons and even preseason and even in the beginning of the year as they're missing some of the um players to national team duty um with the australians uh i think that there's questions about the thorns formation and who's going to be on the field i think it depends greatly on what formation they ultimately decide to go with but now with ford's injury i, I think that formation question is really up in the air uh even though they had they had the five-player back line, and they won the championship last year with that. I, I don't think that necessarily is going to be the formation that makes the most sense for them this year, uh, given Sykes leaving. Um, they do have Ellie Carpenter coming in, but we don't know if she's going to start immediately, and she's not coming in until late April. There are questions with whether they can leave Christine Sinclair in the midfield because now Caitlin Ford's injury creates questions about what they're going to do at that number nine position. There's players like Tyler Lucy, um, that could potentially compete for that number nine spot. But maybe if they decide that she's not a player they want in the starting lineup, they might be forced into putting Christine Sinclair back in that position and changing what they're doing with their midfield. So I think this team actually has a lot of questions right now in terms of what they're going to look like on opening day and what formation is going to work the best for them. And within that, and I didn't even really mention this, we do have to make sure that Tobin Heath is ready for opening day. That's the hope, but... After last year, I, I don't want to make any assumptions until we see it happen uh, with her coming back from ankle surgery. So there's a lot of questions there. I, I think what Parsons has said 
uh, that's a little bit different this season is that last year he kind of went into the year with a set formation, a set style. And when Tobin Heath got hurt, he didn't adjust as quickly as he should have as a coach. And this year he's trying to be a lot more open and flexible in preseason to figuring out with the players available, what formation and style is going to work the best and not going in immediately with a set idea that um, he steadfast uh, has to go with. So we, I think in the coming weeks, we're going to have a lot of questions on this and I'm not exactly sure what they're going to look like on opening day. And and my guess is we probably won't get a ton of new information on this until we see the yeah. thorns in, in what is going to be now their spring in, in invitational. Uh, they are going to have one. It's going to be hosted up at Merlo field, March 11th through 17th. The, the thorns will play uh, the Chicago red stars uh, on Sunday, March 11th. That's five o'clock. Wednesday, March 14th, we'll talk about all this before then, but, you know, mark your calendars, folks. Uh, Wednesday, March 14th, that's 7.30 against the U.S. Women's National U23s. And then uh, Sunday the 17th, that is 7.30, that is 7.30, where the Thorns will play the Houston Dash. So, I mean, that's really going to be probably the first time in some of those games that we're going to see some of the various ideas that it seems that Mark is going to have. Uh, there will be a few players back by then, and they will have a little bit more of a team uh, to work with, but certainly won't be anywhere near, frankly, uh, 100% by then, uh, and, and won't be for the foreseeable future. So uh, it, it will start to get uh, answers, though, to Curtis's question, uh, certainly no later than then. Okay, you know what we have? An actual, like, real soccer game to predict. Uh, so, Jamie Goldberg, you are up first. Timbers at LA Galaxy. What's going to happen? So I'm going to be the pessimist because I, I'm just not convinced after preseason that this team has everything together um, at this point. I think they're still probably adjusting to Geo's style. I, I think there was some poor performances in preseason, and I'm just not sure how they're going to come out on the road uh, with a new coach and some big changes to the lineup, potentially a change in formation. Um, I'm going to predict a 2-1 Timbers loss. But I think Armenteros, either if they go with the 4-4-2 starting or, or coming in for significant minutes, after his preseason, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with Armenteros scores the goal. So 2-1 and an Armenteros goal, but the Timbers nonetheless coming away with zero points. I'm going to be a little bit more optimistic and not necessarily because I think I'm a, a ton more bullish uh, on how the Timbers uh, are, are put together because I think there are significant questions and some instability there that we just need to be patient with. But because I, I think the Galaxy have their own stuff. Uh, and so I think this is going to be a 2-2 draw. I think there are going to be some goals uh, in this one, and one of them is going to be scored by Liam Ridwell. Uh, on a set piece, there's going to be a ridgy roll uh, as the Timbers go down and take a point away from the Galaxy uh, and, and and start that path toward, you know, getting through uh, this season opening five-game road streak. Okay, that's all we got. Uh, that is the end of today's podcast. Uh, thank you all, of course, for sending in your questions. Uh, don't forget to hang on for, you know, the, the hidden scene later on uh, with the information for the Soccer Made in Portland Fantasy League. Uh, sitting just on the other side of the internet for me, that is Jamie Goldberg. I am Chris Reifer. Collectively, we are Soccer Made in Portland. You can find us every week on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy, or you can subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, yeah. And enjoy the Timbers game against the the Galaxy. Enjoy meaningful soccer. We'll be back here next week as we do during the regular season to talk about all of that and more. Until then, as always, take care. Oh, hello again. You made it. You made the secret scene. You got here.
Congratulations. Here's the Soccer Made in Portland Fantasy League uh, information. If you want the easy way, you just go to Stumptown Footy. The link is in the post for the for, for this week's uh, podcast. You can just follow that link. That'll get you signed up. If you want to do it the hard way, you're like one of those people. You want to get it done that way. I got a code for you that's really like, I don't know. It's like eight letters, but whatever. Uh, but you can also go to the, the, the fantasy soccer page on MLSsoccer.com. Enter this code. It is C as in Chara. F as in Frederick Picayone, D as in Darlington Nagby, that made me sad, 6 as in also Darlington Nagby, V as in Victor Arboleda, R as in, I'm running out of players here, but R, you know, F uh, as in Frederick Picayone again, and then C as in Chara. That's C-F-D-6-V-R-F-C. Okay. Thank you all. See you on the league, and uh, we'll, we'll update as we go, as we do every year. Thanks so much. Take care.